Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. We have a very interesting topic today, blending innovation, culture, business, and a little bit of psychology. Oh, my. Let me read the opening quote. I found this from a gentleman named Gilles, G-I-J-S Van Wolfen, W-U-L-F-E-N. He is a speaker, recognized authority, and keynote speaker on innovation and design thinking. He has over 300,000 people around the globe following his posts and he was named number two in the international top 40 innovation bloggers category last year his books include the innovation maze and he invented the fourth f-o-r-t-h innovation method here's the quote you can invent alone but you can't innovate alone oh my interesting so what are we talking about today Business leaders have long thought about, I'm going to even use the more poetic word, pondered, whether culture actually impacts an organization's evolution and growth. So if culture is the personality, and I'm putting that in quotes, that shapes the ability for a company, a business, an organization of any size to drive innovation, what kind of culture will do best to spark new ideas that disrupt old business models? Interesting. And... What if your business has multiple personalities that fight each other? Oh, my. I mentioned we're going to dabble in psychology a little bit today. The formal title of this episode is Innovation Culture. Is your business a split personality? It's very possible it is, and you may not even realize that's the core of the problem. Let me tell you who my three esteemed panelists are, and then we'll get started. First up, in just a moment, I'll be welcoming back Dan Seewald. He is Senior Director, Global Team Leader within Pfizer's Worldwide Innovation Group. He also leads core innovation that includes Pfizer's Dare to Try Innovation and Experimentation Program. He was on with us when we did part one of this topic in, let's see, it was a couple months ago in um, June 22nd on our other series designing the future with game changers radio so welcome back dan joining us also is a newcomer he is ingo roth i'll spell his name r-a-u-t-h an adjunct professor at the ie business school in madrid and he's a postdoctoral fellow at the rotman school of management university of toronto we're thrilled to have ingo with us today and rounding out the panel is one of the two sponsors of the series i just mentioned where we did part one and that is designing the future with game changers and she is Jennifer Ford, and her title is Executive Director for the North American Pre-Sales Design Thinking Team at SAP. Wait till you hear the quotes these three have sent me. Let's get started. So Dan Seewald sent a quote from Steve Jobs. I don't have to tell you who Steve Jobs is. Co-founder, chairman, CEO of Apple, CEO, majority shareholder of Pixar Animations, member of Walt Disney Company's board of directors, on and on. Dearly departed, and coincidentally, Steve Jobs passed away the day I launched this series, No Connection Kids, on October 5th, 2011. So here's the quote. Creativity is just connecting things. When you ask creative people how they did something, they feel a little guilty because they didn't really do it. They just saw something. Wonderful quote. Dan Seewald, how have you been? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, Bonnie. 
We are delighted. Well, you were such a powerful speaker on part one. How could we do this without you? So, Dan, I love this quote and the fact, let's go into my question at the top of my comment. We're going to add a little psychology here. He talks about people feeling guilty when they create things. So tell me if you agree, agree or disagree, and how does this work with our topic today? Go ahead, Dan. Well, I think the what Steve Jobs was trying to say was that there is a, a, a preconceived notion, almost I would say a mythology within organizations, that there is this big eye of innovation. They think of the Gutenberg printing press. They think of the wheel. They think of big things and big innovations are the things that we need to strive towards. But in fact, innovation is often about doing little things in the everyday. It's seeing what's out there and seeing what's possible and connecting them. Rapid associating and connecting to create really meaningful innovation. So there is a seductiveness to Mm. giving into this idea that you have to wait around for something big to happen um, when in fact you should be doing it in the everyday. And this is where I think you have that dichotomy, that split personality that you allude to in the organization. On one hand, we are striving to create big things. On the other, we are very operational and transactional. And I think that to be able to bridge that divide, we have to recognize what innovation truly is all about. And it's about seeing the things that everybody's seeing, but thinking what nobody has thought before. And for me... That's, I think, what Jobs was, was, uh, was alluding to, and I think that really connects well with the theme that you've proposed here today. Thank you very much. Very insightful. I, I just love the humanity in the quote. I also, thinking back, how he always appeared in his black turtleneck against a stark white background. Just just interesting. There was so much persona in everything he did, and now we have reshaped the world and our personalities through through using a lot of his inventions, what he sparked in the world. Thank you, Dan. Pleasure to have you back. And now I'd like to introduce our brand new panelist, Ingo Roth. I'm going to say he's from the Rotman School of Management. We'll leave it at that. And he has sent me a quote from Vijay Kumar. This is interesting. Vijay, born in 1962, a young fellow, I like to say, is an Indian roboticist and UPS Foundation professor in the School of Engineering and Applied Science uh, at the University of Pennsylvania. He became the new Dean of Penn Engineering in 2015. He is known for research in the control and coordination of multi-robot formations. I have no idea what that is. Here's the quote, and and Ingo will tell us how, how it relates to our topic. Quote, if you want a robot, to maneuver aggressively, it has to be small. As you scale things down, the moment of inertia, the resistance to angular motion drops dramatically. Ingo Roth, how are you? Great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. We're delighted, and we, you came to us through your colleague at Rotman. It was Mark Leung, who was unable right. to join us today, and we're so happy that he referred you to us. So I'd love for you to tell us, please, what does this quote mean? I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> and how does it relate to culture and business personality? Do, if you have little robots, do you have a better culture? Talk to me and go. <laughs> yeah. So I want to relate it a little bit to the previous uh, quote by Dan. Um, so it's not only about connecting little things to build up to something bigger when it comes to ideas, but it's also very much about connecting the little things um, when it comes to culture change and changing a culture in an organization. And I think there are two ways to think about this. One way is to think about, okay, I want to a small group to develop in a certain way very, very fast. 
And you can certainly do that if you engage with them intensively. But if you want to change a whole organization, there's a whole lot of inertia just based on the differences differences between the different departments of the organizations and where everybody is. So I think this quote illustrates like this inertia that builds up when you try to t- uh, take on and change an organizational culture about 100,000 people. And I think we should be or could be mindful of that when we talk about change and culture change. Very, very interesting. Uh, one question for you, Ingo. When you have a huge organization, do you have to break it down into little groups? I know we've we've talked with Jennifer on her series before about the methods. We, we also had a series on innovating innovation for a couple of years here on Game Changers. And, and the question is, do you have to reduce the size of the creative group, the design thinking group, to just a very small number so that they can bend and flow and not get stuck at those angles? Any thoughts on that? Right. And uh, that's what we see happening a lot right now. So a lot of people started, a lot of Companies start with a small team that develop very rapidly and that at the end have a slightly different culture than the rest of the organization. But they don't also develop this ambition to change the organization because they realize there's something in it that they want everybody to take part in. Now, that becomes a little bit difficult, especially if you want them, like the rest of the organization, to get to the same level. So you have two opportunities. Either you do it in small groups or small teams, which works very well, which we know, Mm -hmm. or you, like, reduce... Uh, the ambition that you have. So you think about, okay, what are the things that are most crucial and what are the cornerstones or what are the essential things I want the organization to get or change in? So both ways will actually reduce the inertia. Um, And we have seen both ways being successful. Thank you very much, Ingo. We're delighted to have you on board. You're already in the flow. We appreciate it. Love the quote. And now let's turn to our third panelist, Jennifer Ford. And she has sent us a quote from Lady Diana, the late Lady Diana, Princess of Wales. And Jenny, I don't remember, Jennifer, how many years ago she passed. I think it was 25 years, but there have been all kinds of TV specials about her life, her happy life, her sad life, her contributing life. Very interesting. Anybody who doesn't know, Diana, Prince of Wales, Knee Diana Francis Spencer, 1961 to 1997, there you go, so 20 years ago, was a member of the British royal family as the first wife of Charles, Prince of Wales. He is the heir apparent to Queen Elizabeth II. So we'll leave it at that. Here's the quote, and I want Jennifer to explain it. Lady Diana said, I don't go by the rule book. I lead from the heart, not the head. Hello, Jennifer Ford. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Good to be here. Delighted. Talk to me. So, are you a big Lady Di fan? Uh, you know, um, I do remember back when I was a kid, my mother did get us up to actually watch the wedding. Um, but <laughs> I, I can't say that uh, I was necessarily a fan at the time, but in learning more about her life that you just pick up through the news, I think she was a very interesting and, and very empathetic uh, person that... Uh, did a lot of good for, for when she was around, and it, it's a shame for a lot of folks that, that she didn't, she wasn't with us longer. And, and I, this, this really struck me um, because I think it has a lot to do with, you know, when you talk about the split personality and some of the things that Ingo just said, you know, you start with a design thinking team that is very involved and very interested in bringing, you know, the empathetic view of why are we doing what we do? It's for people. It's to make people's yeah. lives better. And 
when you start to get into that mode and you start to work together, and as Ingo said, and you start to, to see that you can make an impact, you know, and some of the things that we're talking about here, you want the rest of the organization to follow the thought pattern, follow the methodology, because you do find that it works and that, you know, you can have some, you know, really tangible results that do have positive impacts on people's lives. But you find oftentimes within existing organizations that, you know, there's, they are, there's two different kinds of people. You know, there's people that are people people and there's people that are numbers people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is the head and the heart. And so I think that right now what we're looking at is how do we create better bridges across these different groups of people so that we can see this, the success that we should within our larger organizations, you know, that have mutual respect for both ways of looking at problems and of developing innovations that really work to benefit people. Thank you, Jennifer. Great explanation. And let me ask you, uh, going back to my intro, split personality. You want to tell us what that means to you? I'm going to circle around and ask Dan and Ingo to both comment on that because I mentioned in my intro that talking about culture as part of the spark or the vehicle or the platform for an organization to grow and thrive and innovate and be creative. And then what if you have multiple personalities? Of course, in a large organization, and I chatted with Ingo about this a little bit, it may be very logical that within different groups or, or under different leaders, you would have a different culture, and one culture may not know enough that the other exists until, bingo, you put them in a room for design thinking, and it's, what do you do? What is your perspective? Why are you here? So, Jennifer, any thoughts from your perspective and your, your vast experience on uh, on what split personality means in the context of innovation in the in the business setting? Uh, absolutely. It's, uh, it is very interesting. And I'm sure all three of us have been in, you know, in different workshops where that absolutely has been, you know, the situation where you're trying to meld people from different, different parts of the organization. And within a large organization, you have teams that take on, you know, the persona and the, um, I guess I would call the, the leadership tendency of the person that's in charge. And in these large organizations, they can be very different. You know, you do have your mission, you do have um, your why, if you will, but the ways that people go about those are oftentimes very different depending upon who is leading. Are they numbers driven? Um, you know, are they driven necessarily by, you know, what they see as more of the altruistic part of what they're doing? So they're all for the customer. What does that mean and how do they go about achieving that? So it's, it's very interesting to help people bridge those two parts of their split personalities and help them, you know, find that common ground of just because you go about these things two different ways doesn't mean you're not both striving for the same positive outcome. So, you know, the goal in the beginning part of the workshop is to get them to realize that so that then they can start to make breakthroughs and move forward. Thank you very much. Dan Seawald circling around the table to you. What's your thought about split personality in terms of multiple cultures that might butt heads when you get people together in an organization? Dan? So a couple couple of thoughts on this. First, just to kind of 
come back to, to Jennifer's comment. The, the, the notion of the idea that organizations are kind of a, a looking glass or a reflection on leaders is definitely the case. Is to, since we were in the spirit of, of, uh, of, of, uh, of citing quotations, one of the ones that, that I often like to say is that the fish rots from the head. And that's maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of a darker view on leadership, but, but truly... An organization that's led by a scientist is going to be a very science-driven organization. Organizations are led by commercial leaders who lack technical backgrounds or expertise are probably going to have more of a commercial orientation. And their ethos, their spirit is going to kind of feed for the organization because their leaders, their executive leadership team, um, are more likely to cater and to kind of bend towards the personality of that senior leader. So, so much is influence, and that can create splits in the personality of an organization. An organization that might have been very, um, you know, philanthropic in the past might have more of a cutthroat leader. As we've seen in some, some instances in the financial institutions, they start seeing cracks in, in the personality that had been formed years before. So definitely very much leadership shapes that, and the legacy in history holds true, but then you will see kind of a personality drift. There, there's one other thing related to innovation um, that I want to bring up, something that's not particular, uh, I guess, to you know, the, this, this notion of split personality coming from leadership or being a reflection of leadership. Mm-hmm. And that's in many companies today what I hear and see pretty consistently is that in large companies like my own Pfizer, but probably true of SAP and many other large organizations, on one hand, we talk about entrepreneurship being more entrepreneurial, being more like a startup. But on the other, we're well-managed organizations that require operational efficiency, processes, Mm -hmm and inherently bureaucracy. And this creates, I think, a split personality that we see today in many large organizations. On one hand, we want to be vibrant, cutting edge. Um, we want to be you know, more like the startup nation. But on the other, the thing that's helped us be well-managed is the fact that we are organized and operationally driven. And there's a schism there. And it creates a lot of friction today in large organizations because what we say and what we do don't always match, and it's very hard to reconcile those two personalities. Thank you. Very interesting reality check from Dan Seawald. Yes, we all live with this. I find that culture comes sometimes from somebody's work experience, not the company culture. Uh, you ask somebody for help with something, they say, oh, that's not my role, and they just end the email. There are other people say, let me find out. I'll try to help you. I know so-and-so. Maybe they can help. And I see it. Jen- Jennifer, you probably see this every day in, in your work as well. Uh, maybe maybe Dan and Ingo do too. Just the little cultural how much do you collaborate? How much do you help people? How much do you want to be part of something? Very interesting. Or do you put up the barriers? But I digress. Ingo Roth is waiting so patiently for me to ask him, Ingo, split personality in business, multiple cultures. How do you interpret that? Uh, thanks, Bonnie. Uh, I really like the topic of split personality. Um, to shine a little research light on this uh, without getting into it too deep, uh, we talk about ambidexterity a lot. So how can an organization be um, efficient uh, while being explorative or exploited and explorative at the same time? 
And um, there are a couple of ideas on how to do that, but really the most important thing, and I think Dan already pointed at this, is that being aware as a leader, like which environment are you working in? And based on that, what kind of approach or what kind of leadership does it take to actually thrive and survive and kind of like... um, yeah, kind of lead in that environment. So if you think about an entrepreneurial space, it's completely different than a space where we have established products, players, uh, where we have like a high market federation and where really people compete for market share. So based on that, it's, it's certainly interesting to think about, okay, what kind of circumstance am I in and what kind of culture do I need to foster? And that creates kind of the question, okay, where do we put the split? And there are a couple of ideas. I mean, uh, some organizations set aside like some entities and say like, okay, these entities, they really work with innovation, um, like a skunk works, and the rest of the organization works as usual. But what we see more and more, and it's um, also like very um, much in the gaming industry, where they actually start to say like early on, we need to rely on intuition. We need to rely on um, like interacting with customers and really informing like the next thing that we're going to do in order to be innovative. But once we know what we are after, once we know the product market fit, then we need to become more data-driven. Then we need to be more exploitative and think of how we really can uh, drive this home. So really managing this um, like... um, schizophrenia between the two sides is, is something that leaders, I think, um, should be on, on the top of the agenda for every leader and then be conscious about, okay, where are we operating in and what do we want to do next, really? Very interesting. You've, you've introduced another, uh, we should have called the show, The Psychology 101 of Businesses with Split Personalities. Now we've got ambidexterity, being able to do use both hands efficiently. We see this uh, sometimes in the baseball field, I know, maybe in tennis players too, probably more in baseball, uh, in terms of pitching. And um, he mentioned schizophrenia, so we're really really getting down into <laughs> psychological profiles here, Ingo. You've added a lot of a lot of flavor to this conversation, and I appreciate that. I'm going to circle around to Dan Seawald, because this is the part of the show, we usually do it a little earlier, but this is such an interesting topic, I wanted to get your thoughts. I'm going to ask the three of you first, Dan, then Ingo, then Jennifer, where are you calling from today, in general, you don't have to give us the number on your business door or your Google map coordinates to your roof, Uh, and we'd like to know, what are you drinking, what's in your cup today, if it's interesting, if it makes you smile, if not, forget about what's on the the cup right now, tell me what you would rather be drinking that you love. So Dan Seawald, you know how this works. Why don't you go first? Sure. So I'm calling you from my office right here in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. Um, I'm right by the United Nations, actually, and it's a glorious, beautiful, sunny day here. And uh, what I have in my hand is kind of an interesting metaphor. So I have a very traditional bottle of water that's sitting here. But what makes this different is that the label on it has a this cool artwork that my 13-year-old daughter had made, and we wrapped the bottle with it. And to me, it's kind of a funny little metaphor for how you could take something ordinary and very basic that you could find anywhere and how you can make it extraordinary and unique. So for me, it was just as I was looking at the bottle, it popped in my mind that this is just a reaffirmation of taking the basic and the normal and making it extraordinary. It's, kind of, it's a little bit of innovation in the everyday, if you will. Um, and I'm not sure I would change my, my beverage to anything else. Not yet. Maybe in a few hours I will. But, uh, <laughs> but for sure, it's good to have a bottle of water with a reminder of the people that you care about. 
I think that's lovely. I used to have a friend who led wine tasting trips to the, the North Fork. Dan, you know where that is on Long Island? Absolutely, lovely place. And different uh, vineyards like uh, Pindar and other well-known vineyards would sponsor the events, and they would put, I think they put the name of the event on the bottle label. They custom labeled the bottles for as a memorable takeaway of whatever. I don't know whether it was a giveaway or part of the fee for the event, but the bottles were labeled with this was when you were here, this was the date, this was the name. It was poetry reading in the vineyard or something like that. And it was just wonderful. Talk about personalizing a bottle. I love that. Thank you. Ingo Roth, I know you're somewhere in Germany. Tell us where, please, and what do you enjoy drinking? Yeah, so right now I'm in Potsdam, which is close to Berlin. I'm looking down on the Griebnitzsee, which is a small lake. Uh, so Berlin, like the area around, it has a lot of lakes. Sitting in a hotel room and I'm holding uh, uh, a little glass of tea. And this is uh, Darjeeling tea. It's kind of my favorite tea. And um, I developed this habit of bringing this wherever I go. And for me, this is a little piece of home because I used to drink a lot of tea when I was a kid. And it's kind of like a nice reminder and helps me to uh, be in a relaxed mode and have a friendly chat with interesting people. Well, that's very nice of you. We're delighted to have you. And let's see, Darjeeling Tea, you mentioned, is from the Darjeeling District of West Bengal, India. It's available in black, green, white, and oolong. Properly brewed, it yields a thin-bodied, lightly colored infusion with a floral aroma. It can also include a tinge of astringent tannic characteristics and a musky spiciness described as muscatel. Is that the Darjeeling you know and love, Ingo? Right. <laughs> I'm impressed, okay. Okay, I, I warned you, I like to do lookups on the fly here, so there you are. Thank you very much. Jennifer Ford, where art thou, and what do you love to drink? And I am in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and like Dan, I am currently enjoying bottled water, but later I would rather be enjoying a Dead Kettle IPA from Right Brain Brewery in Traverse City. Dead Kettle, was that what you said? Dead Kettle IPA. That's what it yes, is. you did. I just looked it up. I wanted to make sure I had the right. <laughs> I looked it up on Beer Advocate. It's brewed, but you won't believe this. Well, I won't believe this. It's brewed by Right Brain Brewery. How appropriate for our talk today. Michigan, United See, States, rightbrainbrewery.com. Alcohol 5.40 by percent. Its availability is rotating. Oh, my. Very, very interesting. Uh, brownish in color, hazy with a little bit of a craggy white head. The, the, it has big grapefruit pine and a touch of tangerine, assertive bitterness. Oh, I like that, Jennifer. A touch of lemon balm in the finish with a little bit of earthy bitterness, uh, blah, blah, blah. Very, very interesting. These are reviews. Somebody rated it 3.69 out of 5. I think that's very good. Jennifer, the label, talking about, Dan was talking about the label on the water. Uh, this label is a, a skull, like a skull and crossbones from Halloween. A skull, dead kettle, right brain. Indian, pa- Indian Pale go. Ale. Oh, my. Well, that's certainly a new one for us here on Game Changers. Well, I don't know if the three of you know, but I am now a resident of North Carolina. I left New York a week and a half ago, and I bought a beautiful house here, and I am broadcasting from my new office looking out on my new garden, and the back of the house looks out on a beautiful pond with a fountain in the middle, and we have geese and ducks and some herons on the pond all day long, so I am in heaven here, and I did have a little bit of coffee, but it was 
decaf before the show, not to worry. So, Ingo, you don't know me at all, but they really don't let me go near caffeine on radio show days, and you know why. So, officially, I'm drinking a cool, clear mug of cool, clear water from my Brita filter, which I brought with me, and a pink straw in celebration of the sunshine and sending wishes to everybody impacted by Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Jose, whoever wants to join the Hurricane Parade this year. Uh, My relatives in Jacksonville were relatively unscathed, which is shocking because the house is on the intercoastal and very little damage, just a little debris and a pool screen was damaged. Relatives and friends in Fort Myers are okay, in Miami Beach are okay, and uh, I'm just glad that everybody seems to most of all survive the human survival. So that's a shout out and well wishes to everybody. So on that note, we're finally going to take our break, one and only break, 90 seconds when we come back. We're going to continue our topic. Very interesting. I think I see a part two in our future here, Jennifer. I think we're going to have to do this again. Innovation culture. Is your business a split personality? My very special guests are Dan Seawald, Ingo Roth, and Jennifer Ford. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We're back, and we are moving ahead quickly. Very interesting topic today. A little bit of business, a little bit of psychology, innovation culture. Is your business a split personality, meaning if you have multiple cultures, are they going to clash? Are you going to dive and burn with this, or is this a good thing? Do different parts of the business actually need to have different cultures, and how do they come together? My panelists are Dan Seewald at Pfizer, Ingo Roth at Rotman Design Works, and Jennifer Ford at SAP Design Thinking, and we're going to start this 
this formal part of the roundtable, but we've already been doing it for a half hour, with a comment from Dan Seewald, and then we're going to run with this. Dan says, building an innovation culture is about fundamentally shifting the mindset of an organization to an entrepreneurial culture. It can't be a skunk works operation. Tell us more, Dan Seewald. Go ahead. Sure. So I'm going to come come back to something that I mentioned just earlier about the about the split personality that well-managed companies are, they basically struggle to innovate because they are well-managed. It's important that you have an enclave and you're able to identify those people who have that entrepreneurial spirit and that you cultivate it. And I, I think there are a few aspects of this that, that we've seen and I've actually think that we've gotten, you know, relatively right. One is, is that you need to make sure that within your organization, you're not going to have in a 100,000-person organization 100,000 entrepreneurs. That would wreak havoc, right? It wouldn't mm-hmm. work very well. Um, but you have to be able to know who are those people who are the closet innovators and entrepreneurs. And you have to create platforms for them to be able to connect, to be empowered, and to keep them in the organization. Because people who are inherently very entrepreneurial – they're going to want to ultimately do something that that may be independent. So how do you continue to identify, cultivate, attract these people, and give them meaningful things to do? And most importantly, as I mentioned in that quote, it can't be in the shadows, or as a lot of people like to call it, skunk works operations. It has to be sanctioned, recognized, rewarded, and retained as well. So in that vein, something we've been doing is focusing on identify who are our most innovative, who are our most entrepreneurial. How do we engage them and make them feel valued, but also find ways to socialize them? Building that networking organization is, I think, incredibly difficult. But when you do and you're able to, to activate them, it creates a world of value for your organization. And it does allow you to live in that dichotomous world of entrepreneurial and operational. Thank you, Dan. Very, very insightful. I appreciate that. And thank you for explaining Skunk Works to me. I love that. Ingo Roth, we'd love to get your comments on what Dan just talked to us about. Yeah, I think Dan is spot on, especially like if you want to really go for innovation. Um, I think there, there are two ways that organizations nowadays talk about innovation. Sometimes they just want to improve things. They call it innovation, uh, but it doesn't make so much of a difference. And um, they're like they want to empower a lot of people. Um, so they're the the ones who have been like who have a tendency to do that, who are entrepreneurial. Um, I think they always find their way, as Dan says. But I'm a little bit more concerned about like the the others and to which extent do you want to engage them? Um, and we have seen different approaches. So like. The lab approach is certainly one uh, where you have like an environment that supports others. You have uh, you have things like idea boxes or idea jams where uh, individuals are encouraged and then supported who might not be entrepreneurs themselves, but they really have the spirit and they have the idea. And I think as much as you want people to be like really good entrepreneurs and want to have the skills, I think it's also always important to have somebody who has the passion and the drive to really like work on the thing that was developed or that the idea that was brought up in the first place. Thank you, Ingo. Jennifer Ford, I know you have a lot to say. Join us, please. Yeah, you know, I think that um, what what I find with a lot of the uh, the companies that we work with, to Dan's point, everybody does want to have that entrepreneur. They want 
companies want people that come in and they mix things up a little bit. They provide some different perspective. They, um, they have different ways of thinking that they want to imbue into the organization, at least a little bit. But what I find is that a lot of these, these people are unfortunately stymied sometimes within the organization because the organization wants to develop these skunk works. They want to have these different teams that come together and look to develop innovations. But what they haven't done is they haven't adequately prepared some kind of an infrastructure for how do you take what that infrastructure is and move that into production, whether it's a new product, a new service, a new way of working, whatever that is. The, the sad part of what I see in a lot of cases is that corporations know how to do what they've always you know, done. They have the business model mm-hmm. to support it. They have the teams to support it. But when it comes to taking that innovation and, and moving it over that finish line, their teams are oftentimes disappointed because they have a very hard time. One, doing it within a time frame that you know, is, is still exciting to the team that's been working on it uh, or even at all. And so I think that that's something that is important for organizations to recognize is that they need to have an infrastructure in place in order to be able to support bridging that skunk works, that, that team that's creating, you know, your next whatever it is and taking it over the finish line. Thank you, Jennifer. Dan, I normally would go back to you and ask you to add more, but I think we've covered this and I want to make sure we pick up one top topic from each of our other panelists. So, Thank you in advance because we've got about 11 minutes till we go to predictions. So, Ingo Roth, I'm looking at your notes here, and you told me you wanted to talk about the meaning of culture, the meaning of mindset change, and the meaning of innovation. I'd like to talk about mindset change. I just sent out an email. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I just tweeted something that Dan said about innovation culture requires shifting the company mindset. So, Ingo, you talk about in your notes, how do you change your own mindset, much less your company? So why don't you give us a couple of minutes on this, and then we'll see what Jennifer and Dan have to say. Go ahead, Ingo. Sure. I, I think why the topic is important right now is that a lot of people actually talk about, I want to change the mindset of the organization or the people in the organization. And my response is always like, okay, what is the mindset? And like, have you ever changed your own and I think when you think, start thinking about that, you realize immediately it's actually not so easy. Um, so what we think of a mindset, it's usually kind of an attitude that you hold towards something. And you might not be even aware of that this is the attitude that you hold. Um, so, for example, what's the attitude that you have towards data? Most organizations like data is security. Data is something great. But it com- when it comes to innovation and about the future, innovation or data it's really hard to obtain, and you might not even be able to produce the data. So there, the mindset really becomes in our way. And I think what is needed when it comes to mindset is a little bit of a clarity in which situation, which mindset is actually beneficial, and in which situation, which mindset should be actually called out upon and should, like, it's less beneficial. So I think a little bit of awareness around, uh, around mindset, when they are fruitful, what they are, and how to change them, uh, which is not an easy task and can't be done overnight, I think is important uh, to know. Thank you very much. Jennifer Ford, agree or disagree with Ingo? Interesting points he brought up. Go ahead. Uh, absolutely. I, I, do, I do agree with him. <laughs> it's, uh, um, and actually, as a matter of fact, I kind of felt like a little slap to the face myself. <laughs> it's, uh, 
you know, that, that is a lot of what we ask people to, to think about is taking other people's perspective in order to help them broaden their mindset, broaden, you know, how they think about a particular challenge or a different way of going about things. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that I think is, is a challenge for each and every one of us to, to do that exact mental exercise when we try to, uh, to gain more empathy for the people that we're working with and how we expect them to just immediately accept something and move forward with it. Thank you very much. Very good point. Stan Seawall, join us, please. Yeah, I, I, I want to come back to Ingo's comment they started with about have you done anything yourself? Um, what have you done to change? And I think that's a really, really important point to come back to. If you start telling people in your organization you have to think differently, you have to approach things from another perspective, and you don't have any prime examples for you to refer to or to cite, then you speak with no moral authority, and people will not respect you or what you have to say. And that's where I think really, you know, walking the walk is so important so that you can talk the talk. I'll give you a quick example. Mm-hmm. Um, we tell people in our organization, when we do training and we do a lot of very cool training to, to develop our network of, of innovation champions in our organization, and one of the things we come back to is this mindset shift around freshness or getting out of your normal patterns of thinking. And we ask people all the time, do you walk or drive or bike, whatever your mode of transportation might be, the same way every day to your office? How do you get there? Do you ever shift the way you get there? And we ask people those questions. We ask them a variety of things. And by and large, people say, I do the same thing. Well, I had to ask myself that question. How do I get to work? Do I ever walk differently or take a different approach? And, you know, when I've done it, I found it's not so easy because you're very focused on, am I going the right way? Did I take the wrong train? Um, you, you know, how long is it going to take me? Am I going to be late? Changing your mindset is not easy. But if you really want people to do that, then you have to start with yourself and recognize that it's not so easy. We have to be more empathetic to other people, the obstacles and the pitfalls are in their face. Very interesting points. Thank you very much. And Jennifer, I saved, ooh, I have a whole seven minutes. My goodness, what a robust conversation we're going to have. Uh, Jennifer, you talk about innovation culture is not about business processes or KPIs. I think that's probably a revelation to a lot of people listening. What? I thought this was about business. No. You say it's about the organization's why. Does your why inspire your employees to make things better for people? Jennifer, which people are we making better things things for better in the customers, the employees, the managers, or everyone? Tell us more, please. Yeah. The answer to that question is is yes. Um, And that's you know, one of the things, you know, that we talk about when, when I talk to our customers about what, what do you want to get out of this workshop and, and how are we going to go about it? And, and they ask me first, well, what do you suggest? And, and so a part of that conversation of what I suggest is who are the people that are going to be most impacted by what you're talking about in, in this need for change or this need to do something different? And so then they start to talk about the people and start to talk about, you know, what the issues are that they're having. And if you can just make that connection with people and and understand that ultimately at the end of the day, if it doesn't affect people, then does this really have anything to do? Is there really anything to be done? 
you know, because at the that's that's what we're all trying to to move forward is is what can we do that makes people's lives better, and that's another piece too that it took me a long time uh, to help both our internal teams as well as our external teams uh, start to understand that through design thinking, even though if you look at some of some of the different statements out there by the people that practice design thinking, they talk about your customer's customer and people's minds automatically go to, oh, my customer is somebody that buys something, you know, or somebody that buys something from my customer. But that's not true. All of us in every one of our roles has customers. And so it -hmm. took a long time for me to get my colleagues to understand that, you know, even if you work with people that, you know, are in the R&D department or in manufacturing, they have customers. You know, their customers are the customer service people. They're the engineers. You know, they're the transportation management people. So there's customers even within an organization. So you're just looking at people. Who are the people that are affected and what can we do to make their lives better so that they can really appreciate and achieve the things that they want to be able to do? Thank you. That gets to the core of why are we doing this in the first place? What is it we want to innovate? Who's going to be beneficiary of this? Sounds like it could be everyone. Dan Sewell, I'd love to get your quick thoughts on this. About a minute and a half. Go ahead. My, my quick thoughts are that, you know, I think that, that the thing that, that we're going to always have to wrestle with um, with corporate culture is that there's always going to be resistance to change and that people are going to really push back anytime you ask them to think and do things differently. So, you know, coming back to the, the main sort of premise of, of, this, uh, of this program today about split personality, there's always going to be opposing forces. It's not going to be easy, but creating self-awareness, empowering the people in the organization, and really making it very clear like what's in it for them is going to make all the difference mm-hmm. in the world of being able to shift your corporate culture and mindset. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Ingo Roth, I saved some time for you. What do you think? Thank you. I, I would agree. I mean, it's, at the end of the day, you've got to know what you're in it for. And I think if you ask the question, like, why are we here? Um, the, the answer is you want to create value so that you get another value in exchange, and that value is money. But it's not that your primary goal is to get money because money in itself, like nobody will give you money just so you say you want money. So you have to create a value for that to be like in exchange for. And I think in most organizations, the primary mindset or attitude is that we're here to generate money. And that's kind of a shortcut because you forget that you create value in order to get money. Very, very interesting. I think we got to the bottom of the, the question of why we, what we want to accomplish and why should people buy into this. Let me do a quick uh, bonus round here before we go to our crystal ball predictions. Dan, first, how important is it for top management, the C-suite or just the level below that, to recognize that culture is key to everything we've talked about here today and to ponder whether the organization needs to have multiple cultures, ambidexterity, I think Ungo mentioned, maybe schizophrenia, but there's no reason why they couldn't all feed into accomplishing that why. So how important is it to have top leadership buy-in? Just give me a a quick uh, two- or three-sentence answer, Dan. I want to go around the table fast. Without without having leadership buy-in, um, you're never going to signal to the organization what direction that you want, walk to, want them to walk towards. And, uh, and 
in short, last thing I would say about this is is that um, you know it's okay to have split personalities. We all have different moods in moments in which we behave differently. Organizations are organisms, and they're also going to have those. So expect to have those uh, those splits and dichotomies in your organization. Thank you. Good reality check. Ingo, quick thoughts. We still haven't done our predictions yet, and we do have time. But Ingo, quick thoughts on leadership's involvement. What do you observe? I do agree. Like, it needs leadership involvement because, like, if you want to change an organization, especially when you start to tempering, like, with the culture that you see, uh, you need leadership buy-in uh, to make this happen, um, unless you want to affect it on the local level. And I also agree that you always have multiple cultures. I mean, we know that organizations have cultures, uh, so a little bit of awareness and allowance is, of course, as well needed. So you can't everybody get, like, to get everybody go the same way. Thank you very much. Jennifer Ford, what do you think? It is absolutely necessary to have leadership uh, on board and supporting and driving the expectations to the rest of the organization. And to Dan's point about, you know, walking the walk, um, you know, I've met a lot of different C-suite organizations where there's not every one of them are capable of, of walking the walk exactly the way that you want to, but the smart ones, the, the smart groups, you know, find designees within their organization that are those kinds of people. They are the people that can inspire, that can, you know, push and, and provide leadership to the entrepreneurial spirit. And, and they put those people in charge of being the ones to, you know, walk the walk and make sure that the rest of the organization understands that this is important. So it's important to be self-aware. I think somebody else said that and to make sure that your leadership is, uh, is explaining that and are the designees that can most portray what you want to have happen. Thank you very much. And now officially we have opened the crystal ball predictions round. Mr. Dan Seawald, you're first. Let's start with 60 seconds each and see if we have anything left. I dare you to stick to 60 seconds, Dan. I know you have a lot to say. (laughs) Mr. Seawald, look ahead. I'm still kind of fond of 2020. We've been talking about it 2020 for maybe 20 years. At least Barbara Walters has. And uh, let's see, what do you think will change dramatically about innovation, culture, split personalities, ambidextrous organizations, everybody getting that entrepreneurial spirit and those juices flowing across the board in industries, in in uh, locations, everything. So, Dan, what are your thoughts? Prediction, 60 seconds, nail it. I think in 2020 what you're going to see is this evolution of many organizations having brought in internal accelerators and incubators to try to capture entrepreneurial lightning in the bottle. It's happening right now, and I think in the progress towards 2020, you're going to see many failures. You'll see some companies walk away, and then I think you're going to see more companies start to figure it out. I think you're going to see more and more of a nimble, agile organization that cultivates inside inside themselves um, these entrepreneurial networks and uh, and I, I see that that many companies like my own um, will start getting faster more nimbler and really thinking more like the Facebooks and Googles of the world than you think of the AT&T's and GE's of the world and Pfizer's um, which were much more monolithic in the day so I think you're going to see that type of shift in the next several years 
Thank you. That's exciting. We could do a whole show on that. Nimble companies and uh, accelerate, uh, innovation accelerators, capturing innovation in a bottle, I think you said. Wow. A lot of loaded comments in there. Thank you. Ingo Roth, I have 60 seconds for you to predict. Share with me, please. Thank you. So what do we see in 2020? I think I would take it even a step further. I think we will see the first companies that are agile in themselves. So like this idea of like individuals being flexible and agile and innovative, then teams, then groups, and then like how do we actually from end to end create organizations that become more agile and that adapt according to uh, like new value they want to create. And I think that's what we're going to see. Uh, so more networking between organizations and the organization structure to become a little bit more fluid and allowing for the flexibility um, given the challenge at hand. And with that, we enable innovation and we enable also specialization in the different units. So that will be my prediction for 2020. Thank you. Also very powerful. Ms. Jennifer Ford, I saved 60 seconds for you. We're almost ahead of schedule. This is exciting. Jennifer, predict. I'm going to give you 90 seconds, Jennifer. Go ahead. Thank you. So I, uh, I think that what we're going to see is you do have some organizations that uh, have already started, and I think that there are going to be some some really bright stars out there. Dan mentioned several of them. But I think what you're going to see by 2020 is that a lot of other organizations are going to be looking at what's been done in the public sector, what's been done with health and humanitarian organizations, because they need to move faster. They need to be able to come up with innovations in the moment when desperation strikes. And I think that right now there are a lot of communities, there's a lot of different groups that are going through this and are looking to build better communities for their, their constituents, for their, for their people that they have. And I think that you're going to see organizations start to look at how those groups did what they did. And hopefully we're going to see a better melding between private industry and more of those public groups, because I think that there's a lot to be learned by 2020 in what those public groups have done in order to continue to move society forward. Thank you, all three of you. What an interesting conversation. Dan, Ingo, Jennifer, I couldn't imagine a better panel to pull this off and help us dive into so many parts of the pool of innovation culture and management and leadership and the why. We've covered a lot of territory. I really appreciate your insights, all three of you, and the time you all spent to prepare. Uh, let's see, tomorrow's Thursday. I think we have Internet of Things with Game Changers. Yes, we do. We're going to talk about the intelligent enterprise bringing machine learning to work. Talk about all that data you're collecting today, especially through IoT, Internet of Things. What are you doing with it? Are you using it? Are you leveraging it? Is it, is it making your company better and smarter and getting you to that why. So we'll be talking all about that with a fascinating panel. So thank you to our three panelists. Thank you to our tweeters. Charlotte Buey, you just tweeted the heck out of this. We really appreciate it. Karen Geraldo also on board and Real Calvin H. We haven't seen you in a while, but thank you so much for coming back and tweeting today. We love to have Twitter followers during a live show. So we will just say goodbye now. I want to thank Dan again, Dan Seawald, Pfizer, Ingo Roth, Rotman, School of Management, University of Toronto, Jennifer Ford, SAP Design Thinking, Aaron and the Business Channel team. Thank you for getting us on the air and keeping us there. And here, finally, is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. I don't care what you're driving or who's driving. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Dan Seawold, just like Ingo Roth, and just like Jennifer Ford. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. 